Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. Molly, on Stuff Mom Never Told You, we have talked a lot about S-E-X. Sex. Sex. That's what it's spelled. I can spell. Yes. Um, we've talked about different sexual orientations, different facets of the mechanics of sex. And today we're going to kind of talk about the other side of the coin. Lack of sex. Well, not just lack of sex. Lack of a sexual attraction to anyone. Asexuality. Yes. Because a lot of times, well, at least for me, the first time I heard about asexuality was in reference to asexual reproduction in the animal kingdom. Good old biology. Old biology. But human asexuality is a little bit different. It is. And, you know, we've talked about celibacy and people who abstain from sexual intercourse for one reason or the other. This is different because it's not, you know, as, as asexuals put it, it's not a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's, it's, you know, how someone would say it's not like I decided to be straight or gay. It's just how I was. And that's, you know, they're saying that's how I am. I have no desire to have sex with men, women, anyone. So from around 2003 to 2006, there was a lot of media attention given to asexuality. There was this idea that there was going to be some kind of asexual revolution where a lot of people who identified as asexual would come out of the closet, if you will. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was due to two main things. There was a study that came out uh, from a researcher last name Bogart, who re-examined a large-scale survey of people in the UK and concluded that around 1% of the population is asexual. Right. There was, uh, you know, they'd done the survey for some other reason, and they asked all these questions like, I am attracted to women, I am attracted to men, I am attracted to no one. And he was surprised that no one had picked up on how many people so that they had never felt an attraction to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so from that, he sort of extrapolated this other other stuff and said, you know what, we've got this 
underground community of people who don't want to have sex. And he thought he put he picked the number at one percent of the population. And right around that time, this quote unquote asexual movement uh, got a leader in the form of David J, who was the head of a website called Asexuality Visibility and Education Network or AVEN. And this was he was pretty much a spokesperson for asexuality in all of these media trend stories. I mean, I really could not find one that didn't mention David J. And he was all about coming out and talking about um, asexuality and being quote unquote asexy. <laughs> and where he, there's a photo of him with a t-shirt on um, that says, this is what an asexual looks like, kind mm-hmm. of a play on. This is what a feminist looks like. And in one main story that we found from the new scientists, they point out that he has, quote, Greek god lips. Um, obviously, you know, he could go out if he wanted to and perhaps um, find a partner, find a partner. Exactly. But David J says, no, I'm asexual. I have no sexual attraction towards anyone. So th- this just kicked off all of these trend stories about asexuality and kind of determining what it is, because aside from a lack of sexual attraction for someone else, there isn't a really hard and fast definition. Right. So, I mean, as we kind of explore this more, I think there'll be a lot of it, it does, I think, raise more questions than it answers sometimes. But uh, we're going to try and dive in and see what we can uh, determine about asexuality, because like Kristen said, you know, the first I think the first question this reporter for New Scientist had was, are these just people who've had bad luck in love? Are they going to withdraw from the world and just say, I'm asexual, just leave me alone. It's easier to be asexual than to be out there pursuing love. And that's not what these people are. It's a legitimate, legitimate lack of desire to have sex with another person. And that's going to raise up this chorus of people from the medical community who's like, well, that's a, that's a medical problem. You know, if you don't have a sexual desire, it starts to get lumped in with sexual desire disorders. And these people are saying, no, it's not, not a disorder. It's, it's just who I am. And I think to kick things off, we should bring up the definition of uh, asexuality from the Asexual Visibility and Education Network to give you an idea of what asexuality is from the community's perspective. And they say, and this is a quote from their website, that um, an asexual is someone who does not experience sexual attraction, like we've said. Unlike celibacy, which people choose, asexuality is an intrinsic part of who we are. It doesn't make our lives any worse or any better. We just face a different set of challenges than most sexual people. And when it comes to scientific research on asexuality, it is a very, very small pool to from because aside from that Bogart survey that we mentioned, uh, there is another paper that came out. Um, it was published in 2006 from Nicole Prouse entitled Asexuality Classification and Characterization, uh, where she actually goes out. Uh, whereas Bogart took a just a survey of from the standard population and then kind of extrapolated data from it. Prouse actually went out in search of people who identified as asexual to um, pin down their demographic. But, you know, both of those studies are self-reporting. It's about, you know, their own perspective on being asexual. And there's a lack of scientific studies on, you know, people who identify as asexual. You know, one thing that they think they might do in the future is take, uh, hormone counts to see if something is off. 
But these people who are asexual are saying, no, we don't need to do things like that. Nothing is off. This is who we are. We want it recognized as a sexual orientation that's as, you know, intrinsic in our culture as heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality. So that's sort of, you know, these two Australian forces. We've got the people who are trying to figure out, you know, quote unquote, what's wrong with these people. And the other side saying there's nothing wrong with us. This is just who we are. Um, you know, we're here. Live with it. Now, from a clinical perspective, there is something in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders termed the hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And it's basically when you have no sex drive. And some people might mistake that clinical disorder for asexuality. But asexuals would say, no, we know, we don't feel like there's anything actually wrong with us. It's not causing us any kind of distress. It's simply a part of our life. And so the, the distinction between the two, if you're, if you're out there trying to figure out if you just are asexual or have a lack of sexual desire, it's, it becomes how it affects your life. If you're married and, you know, you and your husband are always fighting because you don't want to have sex, that might be a problem of sexual desire as if, if, and if you never ever wanted to have sex, that's more asexuality. Am I getting that right, Kristen? I think you're getting it right. And, uh, one big finding from the Nicole Prouse 2006 study was that a lot of the asexuals that she talked to had had some kind of sexual experience, whether it was just kissing someone or actually having intercourse or masturbating. And the experience wasn't, you know, it didn't traumatize them. That's the other question I think a lot of people ask is, you know, is there some sort of childhood trauma that made them, you know, just turn off of people and turn off of sex? And, you know, they say that, you know, they'll experience it. And it's just, it's nothing. It's not positive. It's not negative. It's just uninteresting to them. And uh, and so that's where things start to get, I don't know, I think just hard for people to figure out. Because another thing that we did find out uh, that, that t- comes up in all these trend pieces that, as Kristen mentioned, you know, were just concentrated in a period of three years, is that they do sometimes feel the uh, elements of physical desire. The men get erections. They may masturbate. But they say it's just not linked to sexual attraction to another person. Right. And we even found a story about a couple um, published in The Guardian who got married. It was an asexual guy, an asexual girl. They had an amazing, deep friendship. And I think they kiss every now and then and kind of cuddle a little bit. But other than that, they uh, there's no... No hanky-panky whatsoever. They've been married for a little while now, and they're both still virgins. And that's why I think it can get a little tricky, is that people in this community have said within asexuality, there can be romantic drives that are totally separate from sexual drives. And I think that in our culture, uh, we do tend to link the two. When we feel romantic towards a person, we want to have sex with them. But these people are saying... I don't want to have sex ever, but if I am attracted to people, I'm more or less attracted to men or I'm more or less attracted to women. And they say these are their romantic drives, not their sexual drives. And they want to form these long uh, monogamous bonds with one person, but just that bond will never include sex. And because of the uh, online network that David J has put together, as Kristen mentioned, these people can find each other a little bit more and, uh, and, you know, that's uh, luckily a kind of relationship where you don't have to have that conversation like, oh, by the way, we're not having sex right. ever. But there are some people who, you know, are out there in the world and, you know, that date rolls around where you got to have that talk. And uh, 
that's when they got to bring up the asexuality. So speaking of the asexual community, there was a notable difference between the findings from the initial Bogart study that found or at least concluded that one percent of the population is asexual. And then the Prouse survey that really analyzed who these asexuals are in terms of male, female, age, all of that. And in the Bogart survey, uh, he, he, the demographic that he paints for asexuals is not the most flattering. Basically, he said the variables predicting asexual classification include uh, mostly female, and they're older, generally single, tend to be quite religious, they are short and poorly educated and poor in general, kind of sickly, and had a late first period. And see, I read that description after reading all of these trend pieces that we pulled up, and all the trend pieces always talk about the attractive male, the attractive male face of the asexual community. So I think that, I mean, I think that if you read the Bogart description of the typical asexual, I don't know if you'd want to come out as an asexual. I don't want to identify as a sickly female. I'm just saying. (laughs) But in the Prowse survey, she found when actually going into these communities, and again, like you said, Molly, this is, these are people self-identifying as asexual, but still she didn't find any sort of significant gender difference. She, it was pretty even split between males and females who identified as asexual and her findings contrasted the, the negative stereotype that I think that Bogart's survey might have might have sparked mm-hmm. in the beginning of this trend phase around asexuality. Because something that, that gets repeated in these in these pieces is the comparison between the asexual revolution and the gay movement. And think of how people were I mean people are afraid sometimes to be that stereotypical gay guy, that stereotypical lesbian and they say that there's sort of that same fear within this asexual community in that, you know, you know, a sickly female is not not the, the poster child of a movement, I don't think. So it's about how maybe that might have been a step backward. And now these people are coming out and saying, no, it's not that we are sickly, undesirable. It's just something that we have never had an interest in. Right. And they report plenty of advantages of being asexual, such as their four main benefits that Prowse outlines, uh, including avoiding common problems of intimate relationships. Yeah. I mean, having a significant other takes a lot of time <laughs> and effort. Uh, decreased risk of physical health or unwanted pregnancy. Uh, yeah. If you're not having sex, you're not going to probably catch STDs. Um you have less social pressure to find suitable partners and bonus free time. Mm-hmm. Hello. I mean, nothing, nothing spells time suck like a new relationship. <laughs> but these people aren't opposed to relationships, Kristen. Right. They still have, they foster friendships and they even foster what they call hetero romantic relationships in which, uh, it's like the, the married couple where they have a deep, bond, but it just isn't physical. And, you know, the joke that the couple in The Guardian made is that after, you know, five or ten years, they're going to look like every other married couple with that stereotype being that married people stop having sex. And so that's, I think, where they can start to paint a picture of, you know, there's this sexuality spectrum. There are people who want to have it a lot and there are people who just want to have it a little. And the spectrum goes even further to those who don't want to have sex at all. But that, 
you know, is a struggle for some researchers and even just other people in our society to accept because in that Prowse study, um, when they were giving the reasons why asexuality had its benefits, they asked people who were sexual to say what they thought the biggest detriment of it was. And those people said that these people are missing out on a really nice, beautiful, you know, experience. Right. And uh, that was the biggest thing that people who had sex couldn't figure out about the people who didn't have sex is why they'd want to cut themselves off from, you know, something that's pleasurable and can result in children and, you know, can bring you closer to a mate. And uh, that's not a concern at all for the asexuals who feel like they're not missing out on anything. Right. They're more concerned that the greatest downfall they reported was trying to figure out why they are the way they are, because there hasn't been much research on it. And I, I think there are some inherent problems with such a fluid definition of sexuality. And I think that's one reason why there's been kind of a conflict between uh, the queer community and the asexual community, because, you know, they there's such a broad, a broad definition that it might kind of muddy the waters if you're not, you know, they're not gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. They're sort of maybe a little bit of all of it, minus intercourse. Mm -hmm. But after reading all of these media trend pieces about this supposed asexual revolution and so much publicity towards David Jay, who's the head of the Asexual Visibility and Education Network, it was like we wanted you know, all of these asexuals to, quote unquote, come out of the closet. But a few years down the road, it seems like maybe I'm just not hip to it. But it seems like it never happened. Well, and I think that you even have to ask yourself what, you know, the asexual revolution would look like. And a why reporter decided to use that term quite so often to get it stuck in my head. But, um, you know, it's it's a difficult thing, I think, to come out as an asexual if all these people are saying, A, it doesn't exist. And B, if it does exist, then there's just something wrong with you. So I don't know that, you know, a few trend pieces in the early 2000s were enough to spark that. Um, I don't think that David Jay's website has reported any big boom of visitors of people no. trying to find people who are like them. So I don't know if it's something that people think will pass, that maybe they're a late bloomer and it's something you come to terms with over time, or if it's just the culture we live in doesn't provide that sort of acceptance of such a different lifestyle. I mean, even researchers are saying we need to do more work on this before we know if this is a thing. You really just might have an endocrine problem. Mm -hmm. You might have some trauma you don't know about. You can be taught to be sexual. These people are saying, I don't want to be taught to be sexual. And you've got to say, at what point do you, you know, is it anyone else's job to say, well, I'm going to teach you. Right. And it also brings up something that's come up a lot um, in the podcast when we're talking about things like, uh, you know, female sex drive and libido and all of that is the question of who says what a normal sex drive is. You know, are we unfairly, you know, kind of, um, uh, are we unfairly criticizing these people and, and assigning a disorder to them when they feel like there is no disorder? They're completely exactly. fine. David J has absolutely no problem with being completely asexual. Um, and like it says on his website, it doesn't, make his life any better or any worse. So we'd like to hear from you at this point because, you know, the research is still, you know, we're still waiting to hear back <laughs> from the researchers on, on what's going on. And it seems like the revolution hasn't happened. I don't know. So uh, let's hear from you guys out there. Um, what, what do you think? Do you think that asexuality should be considered 
a sexual, a discreet sexual orientation, do you think that it's bogus? Let us know, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And let's read a couple of emails. I have one here from Kendra, and this is about the doll podcast we did, Kristen. And she writes, I remember the Cabbage Patch craze in the early 80s. As I was a poor kid and grew up with many other poor kids, I used to make up stories about how they were demonic creatures and cute rapping. I think we watched too many horror movies as kids and combined that with the expensive toy that we knew we wouldn't be getting, and we were able to scare ourselves and others, which I think was a way to cope with knocking the cool, hot toy. However, unbeknownst to me, my mom, who worked at Kmart at the time, was able to stash away a couple of Cabbage Patch Kids for my sister and I. Needless to say, Christmas morning, my fourth grade self was terrified that Santa left one of these dolls under my tree. The poor doll was buried, never to be seen again in the back recesses of my closet until my senior year of high school when I moved out. I think my mom dusted her off and kept her for a long while, but that little doll creeped me out, and honestly, I have a fear of dolls to this day. Well, I've got one here from Ray, and this is in response to our podcast on chivalry. She writes, I'm a single independent woman, and I own a house, travel around the world whenever I get the time off work. I vote, and I feel I'm paid for my work, and I'm appreciated. I'm a good example of a woman who embraces much of what the feminists fought for. Chivalrous acts such as holding the door open, offering a coat when we are chilled, offering a seat on a bus, etc., should be seen as kind, considerate, and courteous gestures. If I were on a date with a man who behaves as such, I would definitely have a more favorable opinion of him, especially if I feel these acts are genuine. This would bode very well for the next date. Good manners are one of the best ways to make a good impression. I've seen firsthand cases where good manners and small acts of courtesy were sadly missing on a date or even in daily life. Who wants to live in this kind of environment or be around people like this? I would hate to live in a world where these male acts of kindness were seen as insulting and where these men were chided for performing such acts. So thank you, Ray. And as always, you can email me and Molly at momstuff at howstuffworks.com or you can hit us up on our Facebook page. We'd love to see you over there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. And of course, you can check out our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You and you can find it at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.